0: This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's help on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. From the pages of the Bible
1: to the depths of your heart. The Way 101.1
0: While Israel has recently discovered more proof of God's Word, Catholic Pope Francis is taking bolder stands to help fulfill prophecies in God's Word. Say, what happens when schools want to teach your kids to chant to gods of human sacrifice? And when priests want to change, change God's gender identity? Well, you end up looking at more Signs of the Times. It's our weekly look. At Bible Prophecy in the World's News for Friday, March 9th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the Senior Pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilt. And thanks for listening or watching us. To learn more about how to watch or listen, just download the Way Media app on your Apple App Store or Google Play Store or visit our website at thewaymedia.net. Uh, this radio program will magically turn into podcast one sixty one, available through Apple, <laughs> Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. I know there's no magic, but it's fun to say it will magically turn. You want to know what? It's hard work. <laughs> it's manual labor. That's right. We're clicking buttons. We're filling out forms. We're doing all sorts of things in the computer. That's oh, are, are we doing
2: that, or is Caleb doing that back there? No, least, I'm, oh, i Oh, you're do doing. It. Oh, you do that. Oh, okay, make sure. Just I do the sure.
0: podcast. All right. Uh, Caleb behind me though yes. is doing the uh, is doing the video. So all right. All right. That's so if good. You, so if you have any problems, email. Caleb, That's right. You know, Any balls Go video, to Caleb at our video producer. <laughs> Caleb, anyway. I'm sure he appreciates that. Unfortunately, I can't see the look on his face. Uh, he's, he's smiling. It's okay. Okay. All it's right. Good, so. All right. Well, anyway, folks, thanks for joining us, uh, Pastor Mark. Uh, lots of things on the docket today on your heart, I'm sure, yes. and uh, lots of good listener questions. Mail. This is our Truth in Ten segment, where Pastor Mark answers your questions in ten minutes or less. Pastor Mark, our first question comes from Caleb, <laughs> not not our Caleb, but another Caleb. Yep. And Caleb, uh, this Caleb, listens to us in Indiana, and his question is as follows: My wife and I were reading about Job, and it said that Job was found perfect in God's sight, but then later on in the Bible and all throughout, it said that there is not one perfect man, no, not one. Also, it says, "For we have all sinned." and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm adding that in there, but I know that's what he meant. Right? Uh, why does this statement seem contradictory if the Bible is 100% accurate? Is there something lost in the translation?
2: Yeah. yeah again, that's a great question, because, again, you see this all through the Bible, Caleb. It's not just here. Um, it talks about others that were, that were perfect or blameless and upright and this kind of thing. And and the word here, um, it is blameless in my particular version. I'm sure the version version you're using is, um, um, blame is a perfect, if you will. Um, but again, to understand what the word means, the word doesn't really mean perfect as without flaw. What the word means is maturity. It's speaking of being mature. That is, someone who is perfect in the Lord is someone that is mature in the Lord. God, The Bible talks about we are to grow into a perfect, uh, that perfect Christian, if you will. Some translations actually say that. Um, and that we may be perfect is the way it puts it in the New Testament. And the idea behind that is is that we might be mature. So the word meanings change and translations change. And, and unfortunately, in this one, the translation can cause people to stumble because of that. It's the word uh, uh, tame. Tame. And in the Hebrew here, in a way, it means healthy, well-behaved, civilized, guiltless, uh, without sin, upright, or honest. And so when you say without sin, well, that, does that mean no sin at all? No, it doesn't. It means that he was not guilty before God of any major ongoing sin. No one is going to be sinless, you know, without any sin. The Bible's clear on that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in First John that if we say we don't have sin, we're a liar. So Job, as well as all of us, we have sin and every one of us have had sin except for Christ and um but what it means is is that he lived upright that is his life was not marked by sin uh, the way that a mature believer is supposed to live is most of their life is without sin with occasional stumbles or sin that happen and we get that right with God what the bible warns against is our life being mostly sinful and then we have an occasional upright moment. You know, that's what you don't want. You don't want the life of sin with an occasional upright moment. You know, way to go. you mark. You did something good for a moment. No, we want the upright life. And then there's going to be the occasional sin that comes in and we deal with it when that happens. So that's the, the basic straightforward definition of what it means when it says to be perfect. But I want to uh, talk about Job a little bit here um, also, because there's other questions about Job's life. When you read, it, it says Job didn't sin before God and all these things when he's being tested and tempted. Well, when you read on to the book of Job, from that point on, he sins a lot. He blames God for things. He, he doubts God for things. I mean, there's a lot of sin that goes on after those first couple of chapters that Job is guilty of. And I think sometimes we read the first couple of chapters and say Job was, was without sin, and we don't really address what's really going on after that. No, he very much did sin in his weakness and in all of his trial that went along. But during that episode... Where God gave him all that and took all that away all of a sudden he didn't sin he handled that the right way he didn't blame God he didn't do anything wrong so he he did act in a perfect or mature or blameless or guiltless or honorable way is the full meaning of the word there in those first yeah. couple of chapters um, but he was not claimed to be a, a perfect or sinless man. And so I think that's important to understand Greg when we talk about all the scripture because it's good, the word perfect is used especially probably in the King James all the way through the Bible
0: yeah uh, the word righteous comes to mind yeah. which basically just means to be in right standing right. with God and job at that point was in right standing with God he was in that context yes but he certainly wasn't sinless that's right uh, so the the Bible's not contradicting itself but it goes to the to the truth of what we've talked about on this program is that we've always got to go back to the original language that's right that it was written in and find out what the word meaning is what its mood what its tense what its verb is all of those things to get the full import of what god is saying yeah. in that particular verse
2: yeah and you'll see that again all through scripture we yeah. come up on the words awesome and terrible and they mean one thing today they meant something different back then we use you know it's the word meanings have changed and so we have to go and do the word studies back to the original again for anybody that's studying i want to encourage you caleb Um, when you're studying the word of God, get you a concordance, even if you just get a basic, uh, strongest concordance, there's a lot of uh, Bible software out there today that can give you say
0: blue letter. Bible is a great free online resource.
2: Yes, it really blue letter Bible online, great resource and, um, anything where you can look the words up and find out what the original meaning. Remember our goal as Bible students is to find what the original meaning was to the original listener. And so how do we find that? We've got to go back to the original words, the ancient Hebrew, the ancient Greek. You do not have to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Nope. It's, it's made easy for us today. They give us the Greek and Hebrew words uh, with the definitions right alongside with the English. And so you can look these things up. I did that one word study right there just before the show. Boom, here it is. Uh, and there's the word. That's what it means. And I read to the meaning. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't speak Hebrew, but we can look the meanings up. So utilize those resources. And uh, again, great question. And I want to encourage all that are listening. Um, to use your concordance or your word studies to find out the meanings of words, it opens up a whole new world when it comes to Bible study. I mean, things that just seem like they mean one thing just explode off the page. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, again, I, I'll use one quick example before before yeah. we move on. Yeah. Uh, Jesus when he's talking to uh Peter, trying to restore him after the resurrection, yeah. Peter's there on the bank, and the Lord says, Peter, do you love me three times? Do you love me if you do feed my sheep? Do you love me? Okay, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Okay, feed my sheep. We all. Are f- Or most are familiar with that if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time. And if you look at the meaning of the word love there, it's it's different words that are used. Now, we have one word love in the English language, but the Greek has multiple words for love. And so when you read that word love there, when the Lord said, Peter, do you agape me? And what that means agape, it means, do you love me selflessly? Do you love me more than you love yourself or anything else would be the question. And Peter's grieved and says, Lord, you know that I, and and when Peter answers in the English Bible, it says, Lord, you know that I love you. But that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's a different word used for love, and it means brotherly love. So the Lord said, do you love me selflessly above yourself? And he goes, basically, no. And you know that. But I do love you like a brother. And, And the reason Peter was so honest and able to admit that and not lie about it, which our flesh would be tempted to do is he had just fallen in denying the Lord 3 times. He knew that he had just fallen in denying the Lord 3 times. The Lord knew he'd just fallen, so he didn't try to play games straight up. Lord, you know that I don't love you selflessly or I wouldn't have denied you. But I do love you like a brother. He said, "All right, great. That's fine." Yeah. Said, a second time or 3 times to restore him for the three denials? Yeah. Do you agape me? Lord, you know that I fail you the second time. Yeah. The third time there's a very interesting change. He says, "Peter, do you phileo me? Now he's, now he's speaking Peter's language. I asked yeah. you the way it should be the first two times. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you the way you said it is. Do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? Mm-hmm. Peter said, yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know yeah. that I love you like a brother. So he wanted Peter to admit it. Yeah. He wanted Peter to admit it three times to reestablish the three yeah. denials. Now they're both on the same grounding here. And, and the exciting thing, though, is Peter went from that phileo love of the Lord To an agape love of the Lord, where he willingly allowed himself to be crucified. He gave his life for Christ, and even upside down, according to history, because it says he didn't feel that he was worthy to do it the other way, he truly grew into that agape love uh, by the time he he got older. And I want to encourage, again, it's a good encouragement point here, Yeah. uh, before we go to the next question. Sure. You know, we need to be honest about what is our love level for the Lord, and if our love level is not that truly self-denying, willing to give life, and we still have a lot of ourselves, be honest about it with God. He knows yeah. it, and say, God, give me a heart that can agape love you, love you selflessly, and God will say, I will take you right where you are, and I'll grow you into what I want you to be, and that's what he did for Peter.
0: You know, that exchange between Peter and Jesus, Pastor Mark, is a great encouragement for us to be brutally honest with the Lord, Yeah. because Peter's response was based on prophecy. Yeah. Peter had boastfully said, oh, that all would deny you, not not me, Lord. That's right. And, and Jesus Rock. prophesied, gave him a personal prophecy yeah. about what Peter would do, which is why later and especially the third time when Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me, the scripture says that Peter was grieved. Yeah. Why? Because Peter knew at that point that Jesus knew Peter better than Peter That's knew right. Peter. That's right. And it's the same for you and I. That's right. So it, that's yeah. a wonder. And that's a great example, Pastor Mark, of, yeah. of word usage and how important it is to get back to the Absolutely. original. Yep. All right. Our next question uh, comes from Noreen. Noreen's question has to do with Easter traditions. She says So many Christian denominations practice or celebrate Lent. I know that the Bible is clear about Passover. But what about the 40 days of Lent? You know, giving something up. What about Ash Wednesday? Is there any biblical basis for these things? And how do I explain to friends and family who practice them, Catholic or otherwise, why I don't? Wow.
2: You know, this is, uh, I appreciate the listeners opening up cans of worms for me to answer (laughs) live on the air to people around the world.
0: But now you had time Um, to prep. I did. No, I did.
2: I just, you know, there's an easy answer to this. It just may not be easy to hear. Um, First of all, let me say, there's not a biblical basis. I'm just going to come out and say that, and then I'll give you the background for it. There is no biblical basis for Lent. And uh, these uh, many of the things that happen around this time of year, Ash Wednesday and all that, uh, many of them, they're traditions. But actually, these traditions, Noreen, they go all the way back to uh, Babylon, Babylon and the Babylonian religion is where they come from. And this may take a little moment to just talk a little bit about that. All all major religions of the world go back to Babylon. That's where they go. And um, that's why we see in Revelation God judging spiritual Babylon. We see that in Revelation uh, chapter 18 or God judges um, or 17 and then 18 economic Babylon um, but he, he judges them because it, it's it's a world religious system and here's what religion is there is a biblical religion we've talked about this it is truly taking care of widows and orphans and again if it's done in a lot of the scripture there can be a proper usage for that word but beyond that limited usage really religion the way man talks about it is an abomination to God religion you know God hates religion and I, that may sound radical for some of you to hear But what what I mean by that is religion under this definition, man's attempt to reach God. Man's religion is, I'm going to reach up to the heavens, I'm going to do works, I'm going to earn my way into heaven, and that way I'll make it to heaven. God hates that because no one can work their way into heaven. The only way you get into heaven is by confessing you're a sinner and believing that Jesus did the work for you by dying on a cross and spilling his blood. And then if you accept that for your sin, then you're born again and you can be in heaven so that's man's religion and it goes back to Babylon because remember they built this tower up into the heavens that again most believe were about seven it was about seven stories high it had these steps that went up to each different level that went around it and they literally were working their way up to the God or gods of heaven if you will and uh, and it was something they were earning so it was all based on works so anytime you have a religion based on works it's a man's based religion because it's not by works it's by faith and by grace that we're saved so um where does this come from well back at babylon which is the roots of this um there was this leader by the name of nimrod you'll see him in genesis it talks about him being a mighty hunter before the lord and it really means a man who hunted men's souls uh the full meaning is he was an evil man who was leading people away from god married to a woman by the name of Semiramis, according to history and tradition and um they had a child uh, by the name of Tammuz. and what happened was is that uh Nimrod died, according to the legend. Um, then after Nimrod died, um, Sem- Semiramis had this virgin birth of Tammuz, and Nimrod inhabited Tammuz and was resurrected inside of Tammuz. And so you had this child resurrection from a virgin. Isn't that interesting? It goes all the way back to the uh, Babylon early in Revelation, or rather in, in uh, Genesis, and spoken of again in Revelation. And you say, well, how could Satan have known that? How could Satan begin to mock the true uh, way that God was going to do it? Because back in Genesis... Uh, chapter 3 god told him that he there was going to be a virgin birth he said the woman will have seed and he will defeat you well women don't have seed that's what the men have so he knew right then there's going to be a virgin birth and so he began to build these religions based off of a virgin birth that were askew of the real so that when the real came along it would deceive as many as possible and you see uh, the mother child imagery all the way back in babylon working all the way through man's religions, even up until today. And again, it was all designed to mock the true Mary giving birth to Jesus and all that went with that. Well, they believed there was a resurrection in the spring of Tammuz. Okay, this was the, the son that was born, virgin born, where there was a resurrection. You can see the picture here being painted. And so uh, they would also worship the goddess at this time, a goddess by the name of Ishtar. And that is where we get today the Ishtar bunny. It comes from that Babylonian tradition of Ishtar. And the Ishtar bunny, they did that because they were known to be fertile animals. And uh, they and then they they, they they an egg is a sign of fertility. So the Ishtar bunny would lay an egg, and they would actually color eggs to represent the fertility of Ishtar and this resurrection of Tammuz that happened in the spring. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and from then also came the Yule log, believe it or not, which represented a lot of things to do with the religion and the worship of Tammuz and all that with the Yule log. But then where's the 40 days coming? Well, when this tradition started... They would start celebrating the resurrection of Tammuz, which they said happened in the spring, 40 days early. And so they would represent it and they would give things up. They would sacrifice things. They would Mm. do works. They would do these efforts for 40 days leading up to the resurrection of Tammuz in honor of Ishtar and Tammuz. So they were all pagan foundation uh, traditions and religions. And then when the Babylonian, and this was happening back in the Babylon. So when the Babylonian, when Babylon fell, the Babylonian priests, they now have traced them historically, the priestly line, if you will, the priests that were there, they moved from there over to Pergamos, which is where God talked in Pergamos about where the, uh, altar of Satan was. Mm. They're in Revelation. So we saw that it moved there, the tradition carried on, and then I believe that it moved from Pergamos over into, again, Europe, where we had the Roman Empire and all the different religions and different gods that came from there. And it can be traced, uh, I think, fairly uh, confidently, historically, through those means. But but it passed down through every different uh, country and religion. So you have, in all of them, you have a mother-child, you have a resurrected son, You have the bunny, you have the eggs, you have Ishtar, which we now call Easter, and that has worked all the way through into major denominations and non-denominations all the way up until today. Now, that by no means negates the fact that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus and he's the savior of the world. It was just Satan recognizing what God was going to do. So he started mocking it in advance because of what God had said at the very beginning in the garden in Genesis 3, and then paints this whole picture that, you know, makes it look like this thing that's made up. As a matter of fact, there's some people, because they don't know, understand Genesis, they say today, well, look, Christianity just borrowed from the Babylonian religions, and they have their own version and their own child. So he was very successful in his deception. But what they don't understand is, is no, the Lord said it first. Satan got it, deceived, and then carried it on because he knew it was coming and sure enough it happened so um it, do i think somebody's going to hell because they you know uh celebrate lent or whatever no i don't think that i could go that far to say that but i'll say that ash wednesday and lent and all these things these are babylonian traditions that are non-biblical that are passed down through the church and are easily traceable all the way back to babylon this is not just me talking you can do your research there's lots of documentation out there so um, I would just say and I'll get back to your question I want to lay a foundation first and yeah. kind of say this is what we're talking about but now to get back to your question um, how do you how do you basically explain it to your friends you know what I would say is is look I know that as a tradition, that's something you do in your church or whatever. But for me, I feel convicted that I don't want to be a part of that because it actually traces back to Babylon. And we know that historically. You can find that in ancient documents where they worshipped Ishtar and had the Ishtar bunny and the coloring of eggs and the 40 days prior to the resurrection of Ishtar's virgin-born son, Tammuz. And and so they would celebrate that and say, you know what? I just don't want to – I'm going to worship Jesus, but I don't want to do it the way – I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to do it the way that they did it, that these uh, false religions did it. So you've got to determine between you and the Lord what you want to do, but it's for me and my house, so to speak, Mm. we're going to serve the Lord. And there's no easy way to do it without it being maybe a little bit uncomfortable. You don't have to be rude, you know, be polite, but just say, maybe even approach it like this. Did you know that these traditions come from Babylon and ancient Babylonian false religions? No, I didn't know that. And then tell them, look it up, do your homework, tell them the story I just told you and say, you know, it's been adopted by the church. Um, and I think that it's something that as believers, you know, we should stay away from so we don't have bunnies and eggs and all those things. And, and that's what we're going to do. And so, and people are going to say, well, you know, you're extreme and you're this and that or whatever. Let them say what they want. Uh, it's your conscience between you and God that you've got to walk with. I know for me, um, and my family, we've stayed away from it and I just kind of steer clear of that and, and don't get involved in any of that. And if there's an opportunity to share what it means, then, um, I take that opportunity like right now.
0: And not even eat a Cadbury egg. Well, no, I didn't say I would eat a Cadbury egg. I'm just teasing. You know, look, candy's
2: candy. Chocolate's chocolate. You know, I'm again, what is. What, you know, Paul said meats only meat. <laughs> That's so, right. uh, again, well, I have no problem with a Cadbury egg. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, but again, that, you know, it, it does bring up Greg because there are questions about, you know, the the traditions that do go along with this time of year. And, um, you know, I don't want to go much farther and, 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 and speak condemnation on anybody that is involved in certain things, but I would challenge all of us as believers do your homework, uh, look these things up, read about them, uh, find out what their tradition origins are, find out whether or not it's something you really want to raise your kids in and that you really want to be a part of. And I know you say, Mark, you're taking away all the fun of this time of year. I'm not taking away the fun. Look, I think, how, how do you get more fun? then jesus christ rising from the dead and celebrating his resurrection and the fact that he's coming to establish his kingdom it doesn't get any better than that um and um and so i think that and the bible's very clear too greg you know there's a lot of other things it tells us to stay away from worshiping our god the way that the world worships their gods god gives a warning about that he says i don't want you to worship me the way that they worship their gods that's why he gives some there's some really strange things that god tells the children of israel not to do that if you don't know the background are kind of weird he says don't shave the edges of your beard Right. And don't boil uh, the mother and the mother, the, the child in the mother's milk of the animal, you know, when you're cooking or whatever. There's a humanitarian thing there. Right. First of all. But also the in the pagan religions, they would take them, the child, you know, the, the, the kid, if you will, of the goat or whatever the other animals. And they boil that in the bowl in the, the mother's milk as part of a ceremony to their gods. And the trim around the head, this one's kind of funny to me because um, what they would actually do is they would round like an afro. They would round their head, those who had hair that was kind of fluffy. They'd round it, and their beard they'd round it to look like a planet, and they'd worship Saturn and the planets. And so that's what God said. They're looking like a planet walking around, yeah. and so God said, "Don't shave the corners of your beard. Don't round yourself mm. off like the pagans are doing, because you're going to look like you're worshiping Saturn or whatever the case might be. So even if you're not doing it, don't look like you are. This kind of thing, and that's kind of funny to me because I always think about that um that guy um it's not uh, who was it? There was some uh, electric light orchestra. Was that the name of the group? E-L-O. The guy that had had the ELO had the hair, the big afro hair, and it looked rounded when you looked oh, at him in all the album. Cover. Anyway, well Bob this,
0: Bob Ross, the painter on PBS. That guy. Ra- there you go, Bob I Ross. Mean, he, he, needs to he, <laughs> repent. No. I'm just kidding I was just kidding it has nothing to do with Bob but
2: no offense to anybody we're, we're having fun but that's the uh. point is that you have to look and say alright what are the traditions where do the traditions come from and yeah. why are we doing them and, um, and, and there's certain ones you know that like you know Christmas time you know, we know that Christmas isn't really on that day and that kind of thing as far as the birth of the Lord. I don't have a problem with celebrating uh, the, the Christmas at that time. We can celebrate the birth of the Lord at that time. We don't, just don't do it the way the pagans did it when they worship Saturnalia. That's all. Um, and so it, it's, you know, you have great freedom to worship God. As Paul would say, I worship every day. So I'm not going to be limited by what the pagans are doing, but you want to be careful that you're not doing it specifically the way that the pagans did it so that we're pleasing unto the Lord.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well those are great questions, yes. Noreen and Caleb. And if you've got a question like Noreen and Caleb, we invite you to go to thewaymedia dot net and click on signs of the times and um and then you can submit your prophecy question. And we also have our frequently asked questions out there as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, you know, so you did a topical actually called The Pastor Who Stole Christmas. Yes. Yes. Um uh, we maybe do a follow up the pastor who stole the Easter bunny. Yeah, I think you know, and I kinda of, I, I was thinking about that. Well, as I kinda did that one yeah. year and did here's you? the thing, okay.
2: I kinda of did that one year if I remember correctly. We kinda of talked about it and and you know, I'm not, I want to make it very clear on this too. Look, I'm not running around shouting with little <laughs> you know, a, a little stool down on the strip or whatever, telling everybody that if you have an Easter egg you're going to hell with this kind of stuff. No. Um, I, I what I'm saying is I think it's important that we do understand the origins of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we need to follow our convictions yeah. and um you know And it, leave it at that. Yeah, it really is something where, again, and I know that meanings change. And I'll I I add one other thing, Greg, because sure. I've had people that say, yeah. well, but yeah, but how can you, look, first of all, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, whether or not they, they used to celebrate Tammuz or not, because he resurrected. We know in the in the Passover time, we're going to celebrate that. That's just Satan mocking that. And then people will get back to the Christmas issue and say, well, why is it are you cel- you celebrate Christmas when you know that's not when the Lord was born? It was either in the fall or the spring. We know that you know couldn't have been in the winter it was too cold um and and so either way we don't know for sure when it was but the reason being is is God can take a day that was intended for evil and turn it to good as long as we don't worship the way that the the evil people did okay and what i mean by that is for example you look at uh, Esther and Haman and Mordecai And remember, Haman said, I'm going to kill all the Jews and wipe them out. And he said a certain day that was intended for evil. He said, on this day, I'm going to wipe out all the Jews in the kingdom. And so they begin to pray to God. You know the story. They fasted. They prayed. Esther goes in before the king. She gets him. She busts him and stops it and all that. And by the time it's done, this day that was intended for evil by someone who was evil turned into a day of celebration every year and giving of presents. So They transferred that day that was supposed to be a day of evil and destruction for Satan into a day of rejoicing and celebration and presence for the Lord. I see Christmas the same way. I know that it comes from a tradition of of, uh, Saturnalia on the 25th and the winter solstice and worshiping the false gods and all that. But I, in that one, I believe that what the Lord has done is given us a day that has been redeemed, so to speak, where we can say, you know what, has nothing to do with that. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. It might have been better to set it at a different time. Who knows if you go back historically. But as long as we're celebrating the Lord and we're giving Him praise and honoring Him and not bringing in the elements, of saturnalia or that kind of worship um i personally am not convicted before the lord that that's wrong some people may be. you've got to follow your own convictions uh to each man we have to stand before the lord
0: well what a great lesson when we look back at the old testament and how god was very explicit with the jews not to mingle with the foreigners or with the gentiles to the extent of which their pagan traditions and their rituals would come in and pollute their pure worship of god yeah And we can look at how we celebrate Christmas and Easter and Halloween and what those origins were and how that's permeated our culture. In our society, yeah. is a great lesson
2: great. to apply. We're to break down their altars real quick yeah. before the time runs sure, out. Yeah. They just found a new discovery there at, on the city of David. They found where, um, where Hezekiah had gathered there and went in during his day, the building of the wall. They found a new area where they were and where the kings were anointed and all that. And they found a bunch of pottery and different things that were all intact. But they also found a bunch of false gods. Mm. And every one of them, this is from Hezekiah's time, yeah. every one of them was smashed and broken. They didn't find one false god that was intact. When you go back and read the scripture, it says that Hezekiah went throughout the land smashing every idol. That's Isn't that beautiful? Yes, yes. And now we have the archaeology to proof. show he indeed did it. But here's what's interesting about that. He didn't smash the room and all the pottery and everything. He said, we're not going to do it the way that the pagans did it. We're going to follow God's word. We're smashing their idols. We're going to do it God's way. And really, that's the principle I think we as believers need to follow. We're going to worship God, and we're going to do it God's way, and we're not going to include the the pagan elements in the midst of that. But I love the Mm -hmm. new discoveries in Israel and I get excited about it because again, we know the Bible's true but how wonderful it is to see it played out before our very eyes and just see it validated.
0: Absolutely, Pastor Mark. And speaking of discoveries, when we come back, one of the articles we're going to discuss is Israel yet again finding more proof of the bible through more fragments of the dead sea scrolls have been found we're going to talk about that plus other articles as signs of the times continues right here on wiam don't go anywhere we'll be right back
1: wiam lp 101.1 fm knoxville it's crazy money day Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. Years ago, someone in Las Vegas spent nearly $20 million remodeling a home on the golf course. Apparently, no expenses were spared, as evidenced by a $42,000 chandelier. In 2015, it went on the market for $22 million. Last year, it ended up in a closed auction, selling for $5.6 million. What a loss. Years ago, I worked in the housing industry. To this day, Ann and I enjoy attending open houses and seeing the homes that come on the market. We sometimes watch home remodeling shows where we see beautiful ideas put into action. When studying new listings, we occasionally run across pictures that cause us to ask, what were these people thinking? If you've ever taken on a home remodel, you know that inevitably the unexpected arises. Whether finding water damage, termites, or forgetting to include the cost of permits or demolition, most people aren't prepared for surprise expenses. That's why it's always important to budget in extra money for any remodel. Here are a few tips I've learned through the years. If you have the time, experience, and organizational skills, consider being the general contractor. Find dependable subs through word of mouth. Do your homework before you start, and be willing to invest some sweat equity. Increase the efficiency of your home without the cost of expanding it. Don't improve your home more than your neighbors. You might not get your money out of it if you decide to sell. Steward wisely and remember, we're just passing through. God's preparing a place for us that will never need remodeled. And if you've been helped by Crown or this radio station, can I ask you to begin this year by supporting us? If you already do so, thank you for your generosity. You can begin giving today at crown.org. That's crown.org.
0: A moment of grace with Ed Taylor. You want to be very careful to guard the gate of your eyes, the eye gate in your life. The eye gate lets a lot into our lives that influence us. You want to be careful. You want to be careful what you look at. You want to be careful what you linger on. You want to be careful what you stare at or who you stare at. Where your eyes are. You want to put a guard around your eyes. Because if you don't, you may find that that gate is vulnerable. And what you let into your eyes can greatly damage and hurt you. If not destroy you altogether. For more biblical encouragement, to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora.
1: Signs of the Times
0: now continues. Here again is your host... Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news. These are the signs of the times for Friday, March 19th, 2021, along with Pastor Mark Kirk. I'm Greg Hilt. Thanks for staying with us in our second half hour as we dive into news headlines. And, um, and I know we, we haven't really talked about it. It's just kind of things that are obvious for those that are watching the video that we're making some changes to our studios And Pastor Mark was kind enough to dress color coordinated with the with the walls. In the, I guess I didn't even realize that. Oh, I thought. Oh, I see. I thought you planned that. No, I I didn't. uh, I
2: should say I did. I should say you know I'm so on top of it. I just did it. And uh, no, I just in the green hue happens to be just um, um, okay. Prophetic,
0: prophetic, (laughs) perfect. Considering that's what we talk about on the show. All right, uh, let's go to Israel. A couple of interesting articles this week. This first one, Pastor Marcus from the New York Times, where we see that Israel- Israeli researchers have revealed newly discovered fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah
2: yeah this is exciting greg i mean this is one of those things where you know again we, I, when i read this i thought about you know it's been 60 years since they found anything um on the dead sea scrolls and of course 1947 they found the the major um uh stash if you will of the dead sea scrolls and when they were found in 47 it was like god re-establishing his word showing his word hadn't changed and he established his word and then a year later he established in 1948 the nation of israel and i, I just see a whole picture there of god establishing his word then establishing his nation as we head into the last days and the last times, and now they have found 60 years later some new fragments that have never been discovered before, and I think God is make a statement, making a statement in this as well. Now the article says this: Israeli researchers unveiled on Tuesday dozens of newly discovered Dead Sea Scroll fragments containing biblical texts dating back nearly 2,000 years adding to the body of artifacts that have shed light on the history of Judaism, early Christian life, and ancient humankind. The parchment fragments, ranging from just a few millimeters to a thumbnail in size, some of these are tiny, are the first in about 60 years to have been unearthed in archaeological excavations in the Judean desert. They were found as part of a four-year Israeli national project to prevent further looting of antiquities from the remote caves and crevices of the desert east of the south. And southeast of Jerusalem, which straddle, straddles the boundary of Israel and the occupied West Bank. And a real quick comment before I go on. God hid these in a place that only could be preserved in that place where they couldn't rot and go away. You see God's hand so clearly in all this. I love it. The project turned up many other rare historical finds, including a large woven basket with a lid uh, and maybe the oldest such intact basket in the world. The archaeologists also found a 6,000-year-old partially mummified skeleton of a child buried in a fetal position and wrapped in a cloth. Dating from about the 3rd century B.C. to the 1st century A.D., the biblical and apocryphal texts are widely considered to be among the most significant archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. The arid conditions of the Judean desert provided a unique environment for the natural preservation and stood the test of time. The latest fragments come from a scroll that was first discovered in the so-called horror cave. Again, why did they call it the horror cave? Because they found some 40 bodies in there, bones of bodies back in there. It would appear that when the children of Israel were, were running from Rome and Rome chased them All the way down into that region down there toward Masada. We all know the story of Masada. Many of them hid in other caves on the way, or at least some of the caves they hid in here. This was a hard cave to get to. And because of that, they starved them out. And they ended up dying there or maybe even committing suicide, who would know like they did at Masada. But either way, uh, they called it because of that the Horror Cave, south of En Gedi in the Israel Territory, written in Greek by two scribes. It dates from a period of the Bar Kokhba Revolt almost 1,900 years ago when Jewish rebels fled with their families and hid from the Romans in the caves. The Romans discovered and besieged the refugees in the Horror Cave until they starved to death. The first archaeologists to arrive in the last century found their skulls and bones placed in baskets in the cavern. Uh the new fragments contain verses from Zechariah eighteen, sixteen through seventeen, including part of the name of God written in ancient Hebrew, and verses from Nahum one, five through six, both from the biblical book of the twelve minor prophets. Experts managed to reconstruct eleven lines of text from Zechariah, including the verses, and here it is. Listen not a Zechariah. It says, these are the things you are to do. Isn't that interesting? It starts this way. They find a scroll they hadn't found for 60 years. No more. We've got God's word, but it's like a special message from God that the whole world's going to look at because they discovered it, and everybody wants to see this great discovery, right? So the whole world's going to hear the word of God, and what does he say? These are the things you are to do. That's how it starts. These are the things you are to do. I love it. So, Lord, what is it? Here's what he says. Speak truth to one another render true and perfect just justice in your gates that is among your leadership and do not contrive evil against one another and do not love perjury because all those the all those are things that i hate declares the lord so the first thing god said is listen up speak the truth to each other i would say god is giving a message to our generation preach the gospel don't hold back tell your neighbor the truth now's the time to preach the gospel we're in the last days Shout it from the rooftops.
0: Where we're full of deception.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And the other one, Greg, this is great. Right after that one now. They found that one, which is really, I think, an encouragement to preach the word of God, speak the gospel, be, speak truth to your neighbor, don't hold back. And this mm-hmm. would be, I think, a message to the believers of the world that God is giving here. But he gave another message to the believers of the world in the second one they found. And this is out of Nahum chapter one, verses five and six. And listen what God said. Secondly, it says the mountains quake before him. The hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him.
0: That sounds prophetic.
2: That absolutely is judgment is coming the bible says when jesus comes back the mountains will be thrown down they'll be hiding in the caves, saying rocks fall on us the rocks will fall no one can escape god's judgment is coming so here's the message now when god gave the 1947 it was like i'm re-establishing my word world and i'm re-establishing my nation world no, look up notice pay attention and and then it happened now we have this one that says you know what here's what you're to do Speak the truth of my word. Don't hold anything back. Speak truth to your neighbor. And you know what? Here's what you're to speak. Judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. This is a massive message from God. People talk about the hellfire and brimstone preachers. You know what? I think maybe it's time for a few of those guys to rise up. Of course, in love, I get that, in love. But God is saying now is the time to speak up, and now is the time to warn your neighbors and those around you, the judgment of God is coming. He's going to judge this world. Are you ready? And that's an awesome message.
0: Very exciting. This very, is a very exciting. Very exciting. Yes. And it'll be interesting to see, Pastor Mark, in the days and weeks and months ahead, uh, if God doesn't even have more things hidden that will be discovered.
2: Well, they're saying they think they're going to find okay. even more. So we'll Getting see what surprising. happens. I know. I'm excited. Very, very exciting. Very
0: exciting. All right. Our next article from uh, our Israel stack, Pastor Mark, comes from Israel Today, dated March 8th. Where this article is talking about the Saudis, where they've come out and said that the Temple Mount and the Al Asqa Mosque are not so important to Islam, which is totally contradictory to decades worth of actions taken in the Arab or the Muslim community yeah. anytime Israel does anything with yeah. the Temple Mount. So please explain this.
2: Yeah, this is huge because of the prof- the prophetic uh, vision that God said he's going to rebuild the third temple in the last days. Listen what it says. One of the more viral tweets was posted by Saudi cartoonist Fahd al-Jabiri, who wrote that, and I, I quote, the direction of the prayers of the Jews is not important to us. What is important to us is our homeland. Now, this sends a huge message to the people of the Middle East. We don't understand that language, but let me explain it to you. You pray toward what's important to you in the Middle East. You pray toward your temple. The Jews, even still today, when they pray, they turn toward the direction of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and they pray. When you see them with their shawls, and they get on the planes and walk to the back of the plane and do all these things, they turn and they pray toward the Western Wall, toward the Temple Mount, because they're praying toward the Temple of God, what they believe in. In Mecca, or rather among the um, Islam, they pray toward Mecca. So when he says this statement here, the direction you pray, that doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is our homeland, What he's saying is, let me finish reading, by by referencing the direction of the prayers of the Jews, Al-Jabiri implicitly recognized the Jewish connection to the Temple Mount, thus contradicting the Palestinian narrative on the matter. An English language tweet from Morocco really got people heated by not only emphasizing that the Temple Mount is of no particular importance to the Muslims, but also by expressing hope that the third Jewish temple will soon be built there. There was a flood of tweets expressing support and even love for Israel. Most were in Arabic. This is amazing. Uh, Another expressed his deep desire to be there soon to see his family that's in Israel. He said, I want to go see my cousins. I want to be able to travel from Saudi Arabia, he's saying, basically to see them. And Greg, they even said this. One Saudi wrote in this and said, Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. I mean, this is... They've been fighting the Jews for centuries. And this whole thing destroy Israel. And of course, I'm not saying they're all loving them now, but God is moving in Saudi Arabia in great ways.
0: Now, we know that Saudi Arabia is tied to Israel through the brotherhood of, of yes. Abraham. Bloodline. Yes, the Arab line and Ishmael. Yes. But when we think about the hall, one of the hallmarks of the Antichrist is going to is going to be bringing peace to the Temple Mount, brokering a peace treaty right. that no other world leader has been able to do. Do you think that even that way is being prepared? Where it's 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 a formality at that I, point. I wonder, Greg. You know, we would I would have thought like you. This is going to be done by force, but, but yeah. By a uh, yeah.
2: But when you hear this kind of talk, where they're saying, you know what, uh, it's Temple Mount's not that important to us. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Something is going Something's on. Something's going on. And yes. of course, of course, the Temple Heritage Foundation is jumping on this. Tom Nassini, who's the head of the Temple Heritage Foundation, told a Seven. Uh, their news over there, that this is a golden opportunity, and I quote, in the end, it is becoming increasingly clear that the main obstacle, the Temple Mount, is in our hands, he said. This is a historic opportunity to expel the hostile Wafk, which is the uh, Islamic rule that's on the Temple Mount now, from the Temple Mount, and transfer it to full Israeli management that will allow full freedom of access and religion to the mountain in cooperation with the Emirates, Saudis, and Moroccans, Jews, and non-Jews who will attain their shared goals. Now, let me say this. I don't think it's going to be completely turned over to the Jews. I think that's a, that's a, a very bold statement that won't come to pass, is my prediction, yet. Probably, and maybe never. Because what appears to happen in Scripture is the Antichrist will come on the scene there's going to be they're going to be more open to this happening and he's going to divide the temple mount he'll let them keep where they are with their the al-Aqsa mosque and then over here on this side on the other side of the dome of the rock there's a big empty area that really is right in front of the eastern gate the, north uh, the, the ancient yeah. eastern gate we know that from archaeology I think they're going to let them build there, and Ezekiel 42, I think, implies there's going to be a wall built right there on the other side of the uh, Dome of the Rock, so it looks like there'll be a wall built there. You'll have is, uh, Islamic worshipers over here. you have the Jewish wor- worshipers over here. They will be sharing the Temple Mount, so he's close, although he's talking about giving it all to them, but the reason they're saying giving it all to them, Greg, their vision is remove the Dome of the Rock and build the Temple right there. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's where the line would be drawn and war would break out. What I think is going to happen is the dome will be left in place, the wall will be built, and they'll be satisfied. Although many Jews don't believe that the temple was over there. They believe it was where the dome is. I believe it was over here. Because, again, when they built it over there... The where Bible, the
0: Dome of the Spirits is.
2: Well, yeah, and, and, and there's a big open area, and we know that it directly faces the eastern gate. Yeah. And the priest, when you read the writings, it's the Midrash or Talmud, I forget which one, they say that when you stood... Um, on the um, uh, Mount of Olives or when you stood in the in the temple either one looking either way if you look from the temple doors out you could go it looks straight out through the eastern gate well there's only one place on the temple mount that you can look from uh, the, the temple through the eastern gate or one place you can look through the eastern gate and that would be where that big empty place is where I think they're going to build their third temple so they're yeah. going to accept it probably not it's not going to happen until the Antichrist comes along but boy is the stage being set and who would have thought it would have been this um, you know acceptable to anybody uh from islam but the god's opening doors amazing yeah yes amazing
0: all right let's get into some one world government news pastor mark this is coming from uh Bright breitbart no breitbart right breitbart breitbart, breitbart. 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 like bright lights okay right that's all right it's a hard one you know for, for whatever reason i don't know that's and all right i'm only here it's to middle s- block i'm only here to speak that's, that's okay. my job Uh, Anyway, Pope Francis is calling for a new world order. How convenient after the pandemic. Yeah,
2: really. Again, we've been talking the last few weeks about some of the things that the Pope has been doing and the Vatican and all. And they really line up with this whole end time scenario. Well, here's another one. Uh, Pope Francis insists in a new book that things will never be the same in a post pandemic world calling instead for the establishment of a new world order. In the book-length interview with journalist Domenico Agasso, titled God and the World to Come, scheduled for release in italian on tuesday the pontiff reiterates his case for the great reset with a shift away from financial speculation fossil fuels military buildup toward a green economy based on inclusiveness i mean again this doesn't sound like a church it sounds like a political party quite honestly but let's go on (laughs) after the coronavirus pandemic the world will never be the same again he said but it's precisely within this calamity that we must grasp those signs which may prove to be the cornerstone of reconstruction look at this greg a redirect of a new world and a new world order exactly what the Bible says will happen let us all keep in mind that there's something worse than a crisis, this crisis that is the drama of wasting it, again this sounds so political, this is a, anyway we cannot emerge from a crisis the same as before, we either come out better or we come out worse he said, this new world order will be based on eradicating inequalities and attending to the environment, the Pope affirms isn't that interesting, it's social gospel And I quote, if we don't roll up our sleeves and immediately take care of the earth with radical personnel, uh, personal and political choices, with an economic green turn by directing technological developments in this direction, sooner or later, our common home will throw us out the window. I found that very intriguing because in the New Age religions, they teach that Mother Earth is going to spit all the Christians out into the universe when she gets mad enough, which, again, not enough people believe that for that really to be an explanation of the rapture. But among that particular crowd, if we disappeared, yeah. the New Age crowd would go, Mother Earth got mad and spit them all out. And he used the same terminology, spitting us out the window. So I find that interesting. But, but again, just note this. The Bible says that when man turns away from God, he begins to worship nature. That's in Romans chapter one. Now we see, we know the world's going to work toward turning away from God completely, following the Antichrist. there will be the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, if you will. They're going to be working hand in hand. And the, what the Pope is saying, Greg, goes right in line with the whole, with Romans 1, turning away from God, exalting the environment, exalting nature, looking toward gr- the green movement, if you will. And it's just amazing to me to see how in tune in the spirit this current Pope is with the spirit of Antichrist in the last days.
0: Well, I was going to say, I, I think. Pope Francis probably got on to indeed.com and saw a job posting for the false prophet and he applied. (laughs) I mean, and I, and I, I I mean, I jest, but I'm, I'm serious. The Bible says that the false prophet is going to point the way in unity and really point the way to the one world leader that will run all of these things that he's already talking about yeah. need to happen
2: yeah yeah and, and again I, I i know you're not implying that yeah. there aren't any saved catholics or whatever no. again greg we know there are some saved catholics in this kind of thing like in every different movement but we do see the catholic religion definitely going in line in the last days, with what the Bible says is going to happen.
0: Well, definitely Pope Francis. Well, he is. And,
2: and and again, I want to retouch yeah. before we go on on, yeah. on the prayer. You know, we yeah. s- we spoke in the last week or two. Is it the last week or the week before? Well, I'm going to the next one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you uh, – th- go ahead. No, that's okay. I- I'm taking away your thunder. That's okay. I, no, so, you're uh, taking away my sound effects. Oh, oh that's see, a, that's you know.
0: even worse. Okay. And and Caleb was uh, nice enough to have a graphic for us, so he's going to put it up on the screen right now. This is Switzerland's Mount Neeson. This is the world's longest staircase, and and it's 11,674 steps to climb two miles. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because that's almost sounds like the Tower of Babel. Yes. They're trying to climb the staircase God. to get to God, yeah. it, which falls in line with this prayer that the Pope did. And so there's our messy yeah. segue to the next story. How
2: would you like your football coach to be there for yes. that town? i say, do the stairs, young man. You yes, messed up. Stairs. That's not that's something right. I want to do. But yes, this goes into the next thing, and I kind of got ahead of you there, because we've been talking about how this particular move right now, this particular Pope is really lining up with the last days. Remember, we talked about Babylon and the revived Babylon, the revived Roman Empire and the Babylonian religion, it says in Revelation, revived within that Roman Empire. And the pope actually went to Ur of the Chaldees and prayed with multiple religions at a ziggurat or we call an ancient pagan temple that was modeled after the Tower of Babel. You can't make this stuff up. Again, Pope Francis, um, his quote at the ancient replica of the Tower of Babel on March 8th in modern day Iraq, where Catholics, Muslims, Christians, Yazidis, Sabians, and Zoroastrian faiths were gathered in the name, and they said, of our common God. And I want you to hear his prayer, because remember, in the last days, Antichrist, false prophet, Um, I'm not saying this pope is the false prophet. I'm saying he's falling right in line with this world government system and this world religious system where one day a false prophet will rise up. But the bottom line is is that there's going to be a one world religion and a one world government. and, And it's going to be really based off of the foundation of Revive Rome and Revive Babylon. And so he goes to Babylon of all places. He has a prayer service with multiple religions from around the world to bring them together as one. And here's what he says. Here's his prayer. And I quote. This blessed place brings us back to our origins, to the sources of God's work, to the birth of our religions. Remember, God hates religions. He loves relationship. But all the different religions that came out of Babylon, he's saying we're back to the birthplace of it, and indeed they were. Here, where Abraham, our father, lived, we seem to have returned home. Hmm. It was here that Abraham heard God's call, because, yeah, yeah, get out of there. <laughs> that's, what, that's what God told Abraham, don't go pray, get, leave. It was from here that he set out on a journey that would change history. We are the fruits of the call of that journey. I go. He goes on. Today, we, Jews, Christians, Muslims, together with our brothers and sisters of other religions, honor our father Abraham by doing as he did. We look up to heaven and journey the earth. We look up to heaven. Thousands of years later, as we look up to the same sky, those same stars appeared. They illuminate the darkest nights because they shine together. Heaven thus imparts a message of unity. The Almighty above invites us never to separate ourselves from our neighbors. Now, again, unity is not bad, but unity around false teaching is bad. We, we should be unified in the body of Christ, but we don't have unity. This is Mark talking now. We don't have unity at all cost, And so this whole mindset was we all need to be unified regardless. And that's the spirit of Antichrist mm-hmm. in the last days religiously. He goes on, and I quote, Abraham had to leave his land, his home, and his family. Yet by giving up his own family, he became the father of a family of peoples. Something similar also happens to us. On our journey, we're called to leave behind those ties and attachments that by keeping us enclosed in our own groups prevents us from welcoming God's boundless love and seeing others as our brothers and sisters. In other words, quit being so divisive over this Jesus-only thing. You know, everybody can, we can get to heaven. There's many roads to heaven. Break down those barriers. Let's, let's be one. And then he finishes, brothers and sisters of different religions. And again, here's what he's saying. He's saying all these other false religions. Jesus said, no one goes to the Father except by me. There's only one way. These other religions deny Jesus is the only way. So when he makes this statement, he's saying to all the religions that God hates that deny Jesus is the only way, you're my brother and my sister, first of all. And he says, here's my message to you. Here we find ourselves at home. And from here, together, we wish to commit ourselves to fulfilling God's dream that the human family may become hospitable and welcoming to all his children, that looking up to the same heaven, it will journey in peace on the same earth. Now, all this gobbledygook sounds good. Again, listen, my heart is not. I'm not trying to attack any individual necessarily or a movement. I'm saying this is straight out of the mouth of the enemy. This is what the Bible says in the last day Satan will do. He will, once he yanks the church out of here in the rapture, He will bring everybody from all the other religions and man-made religions and even those that were in the church that were unsaved and thought they were saved, and they're all going to come under one umbrella saying, look, we all need to come together. If we're going to survive, if we're going to get along, come together, and there's going to be a system that's going to be powerful enough and spread out around the world enough to unify all those that are left behind after the rapture to be one under this umbrella. There is no other association but the Catholic Church that can do that. I'm just being straight up. There's no other way to hide that. I'm not saying that the current pope or the current Catholics, I'm not judging anybody. I'm saying right here it's going to be something like that, and it would appear it's going to be led by uh, the Roman Church out of Rome with the revived Roman Empire. So this is something we need to be aware of and it's just amazing to watch it happen. It's just astounding to me that again, he would literally go to the place that God scattered because of the rebellion of man to reunite the religions of the world when those religions are false and came out of there in contradiction to Jesus Christ, is the only way to heaven. It's just, You can't write this. You couldn't write this in a book. It is, it's, it's well, as they say, stranger than fiction. <laughs>
0: he did write it in a book. It's yes, the Bible. Yes,
2: you're anyway. right. You're, yes.
0: All right. Uh, we are running out of time, Pastor Mark, so Uh-oh. I think this is going to be our last article for the day, but this is an important article. Uh, this is from Pestilence, Plagues, Disasters, and Heavy on the Corruption from yes. CBN.com. The California Education Department's Woke Curriculum would tell students to chant To an Aztec god of human sacrifice. Greg, we
2: not only are rejecting God as a nation, we're now getting aggressive. I say we. Some are now getting aggressive against God. It's not just we don't want God. We're going to attack him and we're going to raise up other false gods other than him. And that's what this talks about. Next week, the California Department of Education will vote on a proposed ethnic studies curriculum. And there's plenty of controversy to go around. Uh, For example, a critic in the Los Angeles Times says the program doesn't target white privilege enough. On the other side, one writer points out that the curriculum claims white Christians committed theocide against American native tribes, killing their gods and replacing them with Christianity, which is, by the way, what the Bible tells us to do. And as a response to this crime, the new woke program recommends students should chant to the Aztec deity of human sacrifice. Oh, my goodness. The curriculum reportedly features its own, and a quote, ethnic studies community chant and recommends teachers lead students in a series of indigenous songs, chants, affirmations, including the Ek affirmation, which appeals directly to the Aztec gods, according to their website. I didn't know Aztec gods had a website, but that's interesting. Anyway, <laughs> students first clap and chant to the god, and I'm not going to try to say these gods' names, these weird god names, Aztec gods, yeah, who, were, it, who were traditionally worshipped with human sacrifice and cannibalism. Asking him for the power to be warriors for social justice.
0: Again, rather than
2: God, they want social justice. Next, the students chant to different gods seeking healing, uh, epistemologies, and a revolutionary spirit. In particular, the Aztec deity of war and inspired hundreds of thousands of human sacrifices during Aztec rule. Finally, the chant comes to a climax with a request for liberation, transformation, and decolonization. Basically, America. After which students shout... Uh Pachebay, in pursuit of the ultimate, which means critical consciousness. And I may be saying that wrong. These chants have a clear significance: a shift away from the Christian God to the restoration of the native gods to their place in a so-called social justice hierarchy. Is this not the history of man? God sends his spirit, saves men from false gods. That generation dies. They don't pass it on. They go right back to their false gods. God raises up another savior. This goes on and on. Listen, our nation is turning away from God, but not all of it. Stand strong, Christians. Be bold and stand for Christ in the days in which we live. It's so important.
0: Folks, we've got uh, two article, two church articles from uh, Father James Barton standing by a retweet of a post calling God or her and a poll that says 77% of Protestant pastors believe it's morally wrong to change genders. You can read those articles at our website at thewaymedia.net and just click on Signs of the Times. Until next Friday at 1.30, have a great week. and We'll be back with more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM.
1: so is god's love fear causes you to do things you never thought you would so does god's love fear reaches into your heart and leaves its mark so does god's love the biggest difference fear can leave when god's love shows up and god's love never leaves when god says fear not he not only knows what he's talking about but god knows that fear never helps hopes or heals be afraid or rest in god's love wiam 101.1 fm the way